RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Welcome to Mission Log Live tonight, a special episode suggested by you. We're living in an interesting time where the whole world is concerned with a viral threat that has raised along with it a number of social, moral, political, and ethical issues. Now, Mission Log is a show primarily about Star Trek, but that fiction has always been about tackling real-world concerns and the humanity that they affect. The topic tonight was suggested by Mission Log listener Scott, who put what we're going through in the same terms used by Star Trek's foremost Vulcan, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. As always, we'd like to hear from you. You can weigh in on the topic. You can let us know what you're doing while staying safe. And just let us know that you're okay. My guests tonight are producers and co-hosts of Shabam, a podcast you'll find here on the Roddenberry Network. Their show is about science and principles of critical thinking. Oh, sure. Their first season was all about a zombie outbreak, but it was also about virology and medicine and survival. It seemed appropriate to tie that in tonight. I'd like to welcome to the show Wendy Roderweiss and welcome back to the show Josh Kurz. How's it going tonight, guys? Hey, John. Good, John. Hi, John. Good. It's so glad to have. I'm so glad to have you both here. Uh, hopefully, everybody has listened to Shabam, and uh, you can actually tell us, give us the nutshell version of what you covered in season one. Wow, it's it's a it's a lot. I know it's a, a tall lot. order, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, the the backdrop is a uh, zombie virus that uh, that uh, creates a zombie apocalypse, and we've got four kids that are um, stuck fending for themselves. Three kids, Josh. Three, three kids. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't want to know what happened to that fourth kid. Yeah, <laughs> that yeah. Is. He didn't make it. <laughs> uh, three kids. Uh, and they have, to, they have to find their way back to their parents. They get separated from their parents in the first, uh, in the second episode or third episode. And, uh, and they have to find their way back. And so uh, we touch on all kinds of topics. But, uh, the backdrop is this virus that uh, turns people into zombies. Oh, there we go. All right. Well, perfect to have you here. And uh, obviously, we're not talking about a zombie virus. We're talking about a different real-world virus. And we'll get into that in just a moment. Now, everybody who's watching, you know what to do. You can click on the Zoom meeting link, or you can use the one tap from your smartphone, or you can call us at 669-900-6833 and enter the meeting code. Earl will say hello to you. And then he will patch you through. And I'm sure you've got questions or thoughts. So let's hear them. By the way, there is a password on tonight's Zoom meeting. So you can see that on screen in the upper left-hand corner. Make sure you type that one in when you call in to join the conversation. And uh, by the way, I introduced uh, Josh and Wendy. But we also have audio tonight from Dr. Anand Swaminathan. I hope I got that right. I'm in, Swami Nathan. I'm, I'm, I know, it's right. going to take a little bit of time. Uh, give us really quickly, just tell us how you know him. I know he's part of Shabam, uh, but what his specialty is. So he is an emergency medicine doctor, and he works at uh, St. Joseph's Hospital in Patterson, New Jersey. And the other show that uh, Wendy and I work on, he is one of the, he is the main host of the show. Um, uh, but he works clinically and... Uh, He's generally awesome. We <laughs> love him. So, um, yeah, he uh, agreed to talk to us a little bit. So I, I, we got some audio from him dealing with this exact question that we're dealing with. So, 
Well, I'm very happy about that, that we have some terrific audio to play for our audience tonight. And again, looking for their uh, comments and questions around that should start a very interesting conversation. Your interview is so good, though. I want to go ahead and tease it up front that we will play more of that in a supplemental episode of Mission Log to be released later because he's got some great content there and he has a fantastic story about Leonard Nimoy. So we definitely have to say that. Gotta wait for that one. Yeah. We have to share it for the world. <laughs> we really do. Yeah. So uh, coming up really quickly uh, from Mission Log. Now, Mission Log Live is taking a little bit of a break. We're going on a hiatus after tonight's show for a number of reasons. But but hang on. Don't worry. Not only are we working on our other new shows, we are going to check in with you all from time to time, too. So Earl... Norman and I will be around, just not as often, but we will check in with you, I promise, looking at some video options to do that. Also, Norman and I have been doing Patreon-exclusive hangouts. We'll announce more uh, over at patreon.com slash missionlog. And it's just an opportunity to get together online in a casual, friendly way to say hello to each other. We hope that you'll join us for the next one. Finally, Larry Nemechek, Dr. Trek himself, has teamed up with a friend of the show, Dr. Ali Matu, to bring you a new show, Life Support Live, Saturdays at noon Pacific time, exploring the psychological and mental health topics raised by characters and stories of Star Trek. You can join that show live through Skype at Life Support Live, or you can simply watch on youtube.com slash The Psych Show. You can also get all the details on Larry's Facebook page, Larry Nemechek's Trekland. Hey, in the tradition of Mission Log Live, we have a poll question each week. Last week, we wrapped up Picard Season 1, and we asked you what you want out of Picard Season 2. Wendy, Josh, did you both watch Season 1 of Picard? Are you caught up? No. No. I'm, I'm on. no <laughs> so, so here's the thing. I, yeah. like, okay, so I'm watching, I'm watching TNG with my 10-year-old, okay. and we're not through it yet. So I, I, I have been dying because yeah. I, I want to watch it so bad but i'm like I, I we got to get through tng first before we jump over to it don't josh says i don't it. have to don't but watch I, it with your 10 year old okay good to know <laughs> okay. I just, let's just get that out of the way right up front good okay. to know okay yeah, yeah. not intended for a 10 year old uh, <laughs> Fantastic. and, and yes. josh you have all this free time now so uh yeah uh well no I, i'm on like episode four Okay. And all so, right, uh, but I, I think it's, I think it's great so far. I, I think it's really good. They do a lot of, uh, you know, they play with a lot of interesting ideas. I, I think it's, I think it's cool. I, I'm enjoying it. Excellent. Especially since I, right. you know, grew up on TNG. So I, I, uh, this is good. Very cool. Well, as you both know, it's one big arc for the 10 episodes. We asked our audience, what do you want for season two? Do you want another serialized arc or do you want standalone stories so close on this. I, I'm actually shocked. 49.8% of you said you want a serialized arc. 50.2% of you said you want standalone stories. Wow. So I guess we literally have to split the difference there. And uh, who knows what we'll get in season two. But yeah, I thought that was fascinating. pretty fascinating. I would not have thought it would have gone that way. I would, I'm thinking like serial arc, especially with everybody being, yeah, yeah. I mean, just like everybody being so like home and stir crazy, like you want to like tune in for like what's going to happen next kind of thing. So I'm surprised. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty shocking. Uh, I was really surprised at that. Now this week in honor of our guests and the topic tonight, what we'll be getting into, we asked you, 
do the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few? Well, 83% of you said yes, 17% of you said no. But of course, like every poll question on Mission Log, there's a lot of nuance. There's a lot of gray area. We are definitely going to get into that gray area tonight. So uh, without further ado, let's, um, let's get into it. I mean, I, I don't know if you both saw it, but I, I shared in our document here before the show, uh, our listener, Scott, had written, yeah. I'm sure that there are many Scots who listen to the show, but just <laughs> one particular Scott <laughs> sent a couple of very interesting emails uh, uh, looking at the ideas of the needs of the many outweighing the needs of the few and, and how we have to sort of celebrate and protect individuality while we also protect masses of people, right? And he said, I, it, it was interesting, he had this shift where he started to think differently about his own position. So I just want to read through some highlights of this very quickly uh, to get into our conversation. Yeah. Scott says, my initial email to you regarding needs of the many referenced the idea that, quote, it's better a thousand guilty go free than one innocent suffer, end quote. And throughout my entire life, I believe that wholeheartedly. But in this particular case, I find myself wondering if the opposite should be true. Should those suspected of being sick be forced to self-isolate or otherwise in order to protect the healthy? Should their traces be exposed for the benefit of many, no matter how small the indiscretion? On these answers, despite my previous attitudes in the current state of affairs, I am honestly finding that my morals are at a standstill and sometimes betray me, which is very, very scary to me and scares me about the future politics of the world. And let's give a couple of his uh, samples here. In South Korea, for example, they're literally backtracking phone and credit records of the sick in order to identify potential exposure. And in the process, have ended up outing extramarital affairs and other such social privacy issues, addictions, briberies, etc. But yet this process has worked for them to limit the exposure and the advance of coronavirus. Here in America, my insurance company doesn't know that I'm a smoker. But if we were to implement that level of tracking, what would and could the implications be? How far should we let it happen and for how long? Governments have a long established history that once they gain the ability to do something, they rarely get up. And even if and when they claim to give it up, that may pass ability on, they may pass that ability on to another agency, whether government or corporate. So yes, my original question stands up, but the answers are now so much more gray than they ever seemed just three months ago. And even as a holier-than-thou Trek evangelophile, <laughs> we're evangelists, Trek evangelists, uh, I cannot satisfactorily weigh my true feelings on these current affairs against my own morals. It is indeed a strange time to be living in, and one that I only ever thought would occur in sci-fi novels like Stephen King's The Stand. Wow. So wow. that, that is the email that launched this particular episode. And he sent that email a few weeks ago. It, things have, of course, escalated and developed. And there are so many other complications and nuances to this. Uh, initial thoughts, uh, Josh and Wendy. I, I know that there are many nuances we will get into tonight. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, like when you first talked to us about this, John, and, and sort of brought up this idea and Josh and I were kind of talking about it. I, I mean, I was really conflicted like right off the bat because I think that there's, it's hard to really look at it as simply as the example, right? And 
you have to start asking the question like who who are the many who are the few in the situation like if we take social distancing that's pretty clear right we're we're deciding to stay home we're deciding to limit what we do in order to benefit the larger group but then when you start to look at like the lasting repercussions like he mentions like how long this goes on and what's necessary to actually do tracking and figure these things out when does that shift and when does it become that the 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 losses beyond the health losses become so much larger that even more people are impacted and who the few and the many are switch. So I think that that's the first sort of complicating factor of this. I think I think also even the needs what the needs are is also not black and white, right? Like the you know in this in what he's talking about is the need to give up your privacy and where you've gone and track your, you know, your location. Well, what if that's not the need? Like, you know, we don't have to do that in this country. And I mean, I, I'm not an expert in epidemiology at all, but like we have a problem of just getting people to stay home and, and, you know, forget tracking by phone. Like we, we, you know, we have problems getting people to realize you're staying home for other people. No, yes. we got to go to the beach, Josh. I mean, exactly. we have to go to <laughs> Mardi Gras. And we got to go yes. to Mardi Gras. They're still doing I mean, Mardi Gras. We're going to go do it. Yeah. yeah. Like we yeah. need that. But so, so that's, we, we have this problem already. Like I, you know, we're not even there yet where we're actually giving up our privacy, you know, but uh, yeah, I, I think, I think, yes. Well, like Wendy said, it's, it's, who are the few, who are the many, who are, the, what are the needs? Like, um, you know, and this is one of the things that, that uh, we talked about with, with Anand was like, uh, when you think about, let's say if you're talking about vaccinations, um, who are you going to vaccinate? There isn't an unlimited supply of vaccinations. In that case, you know, maybe the needs of the few outweigh the needs of the, the many. So, I, mean, I don't know if you want to play that clip, but um, I, I would love to play that clip. I, that okay. was the perfect segue. It's like okay. you've done this a million okay. times. So, uh, <laughs> Earl, if you could play that clip, please, uh, Dr. Swami, clip two about vaccination. Like if you're talking about the need being the need for a vaccine, it seems to me from a public health standpoint, the need to vaccinate the healthcare workers, which are the few, outweighs the need of a whole the whole population right in the beginning to get vaccinated because those are the people that need to have the most protection. Yeah, I, I, and I think you do have to make those decisions in that in that direction. And, and obviously, I have a vested interest in getting the vaccine first. But but I do think that you want to keep physicians, nurses, PAs, NPs at work, and a vaccine will allow us to do that. Not only will it allow us to do it, it allows us to possibly do it without all of the protective equipment that we're using right now, or maybe less of that. And it'll allow us to go into situations where it's a dangerous situation without the vaccine. But now that I'm vaccinated and I'm immune, it's not a dangerous situation, which means I can actually give better care than I otherwise could because I'm delaying care or, uh, you know, I'm having to make adjustments to what I can provide because of the risk to my own health. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's a, a good example of where you need to get to the few first. Obviously, if we had unlimited vaccine, it's not an issue, right? So, again, it, it makes it not so black and white. The gray is how many vaccines do we actually have and who should get them first? Um, it, it's, it's, again, it's a really tough decision to try and make and figure out. And, and again, I'm, I'm happy I don't have to make the decision. 
I just have to go along with whatever decision gets made because I don't know how to do it. I mean, you know, older people should probably be vaccinated first because they're more likely to get really bad disease and, and sort of in a really backwards way, kids should be vaccinated last because kids don't get critical illness from COVID-19 from everything that we know to this point, kids between the ages of like one and 12, just don't really get very sick. So they should be the last group that we hit with vaccinations, except for the kids that have chronic illness who should probably be getting it before, uh, before older people get it, you know, but I don't have to make that decision. Fortunately, he brings up exactly the point that, uh, when we first started talking about the show tonight, really sort of shifted my way of thinking. And, and you posed it uh, very nicely, both of you by saying, who are the few and who are the many? Um, if hypothetically there is a vaccine available tomorrow, but there are only so many of those doses to go around, how do we determine who gets that? And we might all sitting here and, and the people who are watching and listening to the show, we might all agree that uh, frontline healthcare workers should be the ones to get that right away. But as soon as you eliminate that group, um, how do you then determine who the next group is that should get the next dose of that? Um, it it right. really shifted my thinking on, on not simply needs of the many versus needs of the few, who are those people, but, but literally uh, um, triaging how you determine who gets treatment, who gets care. Uh, what, are, what are your thoughts there? I mean, that, that's what public poli health policy is, right? Like you're trying to figure out like what's the, how do we keep the most amount of people healthy and safe? And sometimes that means you have to choose one group over the other because like, yes, like you, you definitely want to give vaccines to people who are the most vulnerable. But when you have to, like, like he said, when you have to choose between immunocompromised kids who have a whole life ahead of them, presumably, and vulnerable, you know, old people, then that becomes this thorny situation. You have to decide what, who you're going to give that vaccine to. And I thought it was funny because he was like, I don't need to make that decision. <laughs> the public health people make that for me. But right, right I mean, but I think that kind of brings up like you know, maybe this is a, the darker side of that and the decision that a lot of doctors are starting to have to make, which is crazy, which is the other side of this is who gets the treatment now for the illness? Like who gets the ventilators? So, you know, we have physicians that are that we work with that we know that are having to decide does this person get the ventilator? Or does this person get the, the ventilator? Because there's only so many of them. So is it an age cutoff? Is it a how many, you know, kids does this person have that they're going to need to take care of? Like, you know, like what are those questions that are coming into this in terms of who gets those resources? So I think that there's that, that question is there as well on the other side. It's nice to think about it with vaccines. But the darker side of this is, you know, it, if you take that same objective you know, logical Vulcan view of it, <laughs> there is this, you know, this, this population of people who, you know, have more of their life left. Do we say, no, we, we reserve the ICU beds for the younger sick people versus the older sick people. And that if our, if we're really maxed out on our resources to the hospital, who gets those resources? And those are real questions that, doctors are facing that they've never had to face before. Sure, they triage, but they're not saying, look, here is a patient who I could save if I had a ventilator. 
but I have to choose to save this other person who needs it. And that this is really the first time that that's happened for this generation. And it's really unprecedented. So I think that that question keeps coming up of like, who, who, who do we help? And I, I think also to that point, like what Swami also brought up um, was that you have, you can be in a situation where you have some old guy come in and he's like, you know, he needs the ventilator and you only have, let, let's say you're at the point where you only have one or two ventilators. Are you going to mm-hmm. say, I'm going to save this ventilator for when a 25 year old comes in, or am I going to use this now for this guy? Because the 25 year old may never come in and then you've deprived someone of a ventilator that you could have given him. So like, these are all these thorny questions that you, you have to deal with. But I feel like then on a greater level, that's why the many have to sacrifice and stay at home, right? Because hmm. you, you, don't, you don't want to overwhelm the healthcare system and you don't want people to have to make that decision or more of these decisions than they already have to make, right? Like that, that's... Right. Well, and we're sort of talking about degrees here of sacrifice. It is an easier sacrifice to make clearly for people to stay at home and not potentially spread this further than it has to go than it is for doctors and nurses and other healthcare practitioners to have to decide among many who gets treatment and who doesn't. Who, you know, the, clearly there's just no comparison between those two things. And um, I, there's a clip that I know that we're not going to play tonight, but will end up in the, uh, the edited version that we do later, um, where he, he also, I'm so glad that he brought this up, he, he talks about how, look, these doctors, human beings, who have to deal with other human beings day in and day, day out, absolutely bring an emotional component to their level of decision-making as well. Um, And I know that we talk about this on Mission Log as well. You know, there's something about saving the one person that you know, where where you're more emotionally invested in the outcome than maybe those that you don't know, where it's easier to separate yourself from that issue. Again, uh, these frontline healthcare workers are dealing with that every single day where, sure, he says, yeah, it would be easy to just put on my Vulcan mind, <laughs> just remove the emotions out of the equation, but I can't do that. I, I, mm-hmm. There's absolutely no way to do that. And um, they know you can't do that, right? That's why they don't yeah. allow you to make that decision for that patient, right? Like that's, mm-hmm. that's you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, I know that we are waiting for Rhea, who's having a little bit of trouble uh, on oh. the line here with us, but I, I would like to go ahead and play the next clip uh, because you, you have something that I think is very interesting where Swami brings up. Um, he, he brings, oh, wait a minute. Actually, we're going to hold off on that. We actually get to go with Rhea. So I want to bring yeah. in Rhea to the show, uh, calling in. Hello, Rhea. Hello, John. And all. Hi, how are you guys? How are you doing? Um, I'm doing great. And I say that, I don't know. I, I, okay, so I, I got tested today. I probably contracted COVID about six weeks ago. Yeah. Um, six weeks ago, wow. At the airport, because I've got that little side gig cleaning airplanes in exchange for flight benefits. Yeah. Um, but this, like, social isolation stuff, I freaking love it oh my god (laughs) so it's not a sacrifice for you at all (laughs) (laughs) not at all and full-time telework i I mean like 
I don't want it to go <laughs> to go back to you know finger quotes normal. Um, yeah, so been loving life. Got uh, got a weight set for home, so I don't have to go to the gym. Um, been doing yard work. Um, I've got some wood to chop, so that'll be another workout. Anyway, <laughs> enough about <laughs> enough about me. Um, so yeah, I'm coming at this from the perspective of somebody who um, is loving this. I haven't lost my job. I'm not hurting for money. I'm doing great, um, even though I probably have COVID. Um, and also coming from someone who wasn't raised American, you know, being a Greek, Greek American, whatever, um, what y'all were talking about earlier, this, what, what kind of jumped out at me was, um, in the U S it's not so much that people refuse to stay home. It's that people refuse to be told to stay home. It's mm -hmm. people are not going to have the government telling them to stay home versus, um, in Greece, you know, there's a lockdown and there's like a 1500 euro fine or something crazy. If you're found out, you know, wandering around unauthorized, um, the, in different countries, you know, those kind of social measures are so much more effective in the U S just culturally. It, you can't have that kind of top down control like you can in, for example, China in yeah. the U S and, and reading some of the comments about, um, you know, everyone kind of being heroes and making the decisions in the U S it has to be a grassroots thing. It has to be where we're deciding that we're going to stay home. Um, and apparently I don't watch the news, which is another thing that, that why I love life, <laughs> but apparently there are protests out there is what Facebook says. And uh, you know what? I'm not going to go there, but <laughs> um, okay. yeah. Yeah. So again, I'm in this weird position because I love this so much knowing that so many people out there are suffering and hurting and, you know, broke and all this stuff. And so it's so easy for me to say, Oh yeah, stay home, you know, right. chop wood in your mm -hmm. backyard. Sure. But I, I did want to point a couple things out. Um, but finally, finally, cause I had gone in twice, um, you know, to see the doctor and they didn't want to test me because I'm, you know, healthy and relatively, I wouldn't say young, but, um, and the, the tests are at a premium and I live in Nebraska where, you know, we're kind of behind the curve on a lot of things. So I understood why they didn't want to test me. But what finally like got me the order to get tested today was um, COVID toes. And I, I wanted to bring that up because I hadn't heard about that till yesterday. So Google COVID toes, the same time I got sick, the beginning of March, I got this rash on some of my toes. I'm like, oh, that's odd. And I, I even thought that maybe something had bit me and that's why I was feeling sick. Um, but then over the next few days, it went from little pink bumps to like purple bruises and I had a couple toes just swell up like crazy. This sounds disgusting. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> I, I, really I haven't heard of that until now. So yeah, yeah. there's a, there's a new amount of like dermatology, dermatological signs that are coming up that wow. are just toes, but yeah, but it, wow. they're, they're seeing it. It's an, it's a new, yeah, new thing. Yeah. Cause where it's being, where, where it's so lethal is when it gets in people's lungs and for but for other people it's manifesting in uh, impeded circulation that kind of thing and so that's where I was with seeing it. so just I wanted to throw that out there if you see like weird things going on with your toes <laughs> you know might be a sign and what in right from the get-go I had a morning where I could not wake up and I could not wake up until 2 30 in the afternoon 
um, that's not normal for me. <laughs> mm. Usually when my bladder's up, I'm up and you know, there's no <laughs> getting around it. But uh, anyway, yeah. I but but I, I, th- I think you bring up this, this good point. Like I, I think it's hard to see why we need to do these sacrifices if you know, for a lot of people, they don't have any symptoms. They don't have any, you know, they don't, they probably don't even have COVID, right? So, you know, you're, you're having to sacrifice your job. You're having to not go to work. You're having to, you know, you, you're losing money. You're, you're not seeing your friends. You're not doing this stuff for stuff that you're not seeing. And only for people like you who are like, oh, there's something actually wrong here. Uh, you know, is it clear that, no, no, this is, this is why we have to sacrifice so that we can, we can flatten the curve and we can all make it out. Um, and, and I think part of the problem is, is that there's, there's no immediacy to it, right? There's no, like, if I do this, I can see the effects of me doing this. Mm-hmm. Someone gets saved right away. That's, that's not, right. yeah. you know, well, where, where this, where this quote came from was from, was from the scene in, in, uh, um, Star Trek with Spock. Yeah. yeah. Wrath of Khan. where like, you know, he, of all time. right. <laughs> so, but, but like the effects are really immediate in that case. Right. And mm-hmm. so you know, uh, actually that's, that's I, th- I think th- the other part of this that makes it just so sort of confounding is that if we all stay home and it works and we don't get sick, there's the, the side people are going to be like, well, see, we didn't need to stay home because nobody got right. sick. Well, they're already saying that, <laughs> you know, yeah. right. But that's the thing. It, it's like, it, it actually creates not a response like it it, it, it prevents yeah. the response or it prevents it so it is it's, it's even like more confounding because you're not only not seeing the immediate effect of it you're not there's it's not actually happening right like if we're effective in in this process we will have eliminated it and that's the thing right that that's what makes it so people can't understand it uh josh right. you shared a link with me earlier that was from uh emily landon yeah, and uh, I'll, I'll put this link in the show notes or or elsewhere. People can see it. She's absolutely wonderful, uh, terrific speaker, and just terrific at being able to put these things in perspective. But um, it, labeled as explaining what success looks like, and you pulled my favorite quote from it. In the end, you're going to think it was all for nothing, and that's the point, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that that's. Um, it, it it would be an absolutely perfect outcome if we all felt like, oh, wow, we did all that stuff and it was for nothing because we were actually successful at doing what it is that we need to do. Uh, I absolutely love the, the way she yeah. summed that up. And the nothing is so far out into the future, right? Like if you just right. diffused right. a bomb, it's like, oh, it didn't blow up. We definitely felt the effects of that, even though nothing happened. But yeah, this well, is like, yeah, the nothing is in 10 months when you know, yeah. three, you know, a hundred thousand people didn't die or, you know. Well, and, and I think this speaks to something that is a little bit difficult about wrapping our heads around science and scientific process and scientific modeling of what's going on. We, we sort of, we assume that when something comes from the mouth of a scientist or an expert, that it is um, proscriptive. You know, they're, they're telling us exactly what is happening right now, and this is the way that it will be, as opposed to understanding in a more uh, sort of abstract way that science is being descriptive, and science is the method by which we come to that, that knowledge. So where we are right now, we're looking in hindsight at all the data that has added up. So when we look at models that say, oh, okay, well, worst case scenario, 
X hundreds of thousands or millions of people could die. But guess what? Now we get to adjust that day by day, hour by hour as new data comes in. That's a good thing. But it doesn't mean that a scientist has sort of decided this is how it will be. It means that they're able to take in new information and constantly update what those models look like. Um, I, I see a lot of uh, uh, misrepresentation um, when I just sort of look at conversation around what scientists are actually saying about what's going on. I'm sure that you see the same thing. Well, I, I think that goes back to what Rhea was saying with the you have people protesting and it's difficult to get people to do the thing that you want them to do right. because, you know, they're, they're, I think there's a little bit of a, I don't trust the experts problem in this country. Like, I, I, don't, I don't think most people actually think of it the way you just described it, John. <laughs> like, I, I, I think, I mean, the New York Times had a, an article, an opinion piece where the guy was basically like, scientists don't know uh, anything more than some random person on Twitter. And I was like, uh, <laughs> why are we writing this? <laughs> but, you know. Yeah. Well, hey, uh, Rhea, first of all, um, I, I want to ask you, you, you said that you uh, think that you might have had this starting uh, as far back as more than a month ago or so. Mm -hmm. um, were you okay? Are you okay? Just sort of let us know what the progress has been, where you are. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm good. Um, like I said, I had the, the fatigue. Basically, I was told, yeah, you've got a virus. You know, we're not going to test you. Um, you know, drink lots of fluids kind of thing. Um, but the fatigue never went away. Mm -hmm. um, what else? Just the sore throat, the coughing. Um, went back to the doctor last week and he said, oh, yeah, you've got some virus. We don't know what it is. Um, but you probably have some bacteria. So here's some antibiotics. Um, mm -hmm. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Don't get me started. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. About ten years without taking antibiotics. But here's the the thing, though, is that during this time, I was you know once a week going to the grocery store. Um, okay, I went to Menards. All right, I'm sorry <laughs> because I thought I just had a cold. Um, where else did I go? A couple other places. Mardi Gras. Mardi Gras. I went to the. <laughs> you know yeah, normal <laughs> stuff and i've been going for walks and i was on a walk yesterday and i smelled you know weed and it, it just like it was overpowering and it was a block away there are about 40 people having a party in the park wow <laughs> anyway wow. whatever but um in the meantime like i said i've been out and about i've like touched produce at the grocery store like i kind of wonder if i've killed anybody it's kind of a weird uh weird feeling <laughs> yeah, it is very strange. I mean, every little step that you take, everything that you do, it, at least in mm -hmm. my head, I sort of go like, oh, okay, I made it through the week and now I'm going to go to the grocery store, but I'm resetting the clock when I do yeah. that. Yeah. You know, that that's really tough to sort of wrap your head around. And say, yeah. I mean, there's also time. like the new, the new numbers. So, so Mel, who's our co-host on Shabam is also an ER doc and he's actually mm. like literally writing a chapter on COVID right now. And I was talking to him yesterday and they're saying that it's looking like the new numbers for asympt asymptomatic uh, actual infection is 50%. Mm. 
So that half of the people who have it have zero symptoms. It could be that high. So even if you think you're resetting the clock by going to the store, you may have had it from your last store trip and have no symptoms. So that's the thing that I think that makes this just even crazier. And and to be honest, you know, the the best advice that I heard early on when all of this started was don't walk through your life as if you are trying to avoid catching this. Walk through your life as if you have it and you're trying to avoid giving it to someone else. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah, because you might be talking to a murderer right now because, you know. (laughs) Well, that sounds a bit personal, Rhea. Um, I thought we were friends. Which one of us are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Tackling Rhea here. Because, um, you know, needing to incentivize people to stay home like I said, in the U.S., it can never come from the top down because that's just not the culture here. But that's um, kind of why I wanted to call in and like kind of get my story out there. It's like I could, you know, I might have killed people <laughs> touching produce at the grocery store because yeah. at the time there really weren't tests available to test someone like mm-hmm. me. And I was, you know, because, yeah, like, John, you say you have to go through life um, as though you have it and you're just trying not to spread it to anybody else because 50 percent you know that's asymptomatic you very well could have it and you might not know why your toes are purple and you know you still keep going to mardi gras right anyway (laughs) hey um uh i I have to ask you because earlier in the chat here chris said uh what's the story behind that picture (laughs) this was um (laughs) destination birmingham i don't Ah. know if i can flip my camera around Ah. Yeah, no, we can see it. See it at all? Yeah. yeah. Also, I don't have a life. Yeah, I just happened to get that picture, and it turned out so great, I had to get it blown up. I just... So you and the bridge covered in tribbles. Very nice. That's, great. That's what happens when you clean starships. You get free bridge access, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> according to someone's chat. So. Excellent. Well, Rhea, thank you so much for calling in yes. tonight. Thanks and, for calling uh, sharing Thanks, your story with us. We got uh, Feel better. caller standing by and some Feeling clips. Great. and. Yes, yeah, please take care of yourself. And forever. Check in with us. All right, take care. Okay, love y'all, nighty-night. Bye, Bye, take care. Bye. Hey, uh, since we were about to get into it there in that discussion, I, I do really want to play that clip uh, from Dr. Swami about the immediacy of results. Sure. I thought that was such an interesting point that he made. So, Earl, I believe you said you had that queued up. So I will shut my mouth. And I will let that start playing. In a lot of ways, asking people to stay home for the sake of the people who are sick, that is kind of the reverse. It's totally the reverse. But it does have implications for the many, right? So so again, this is another example where in reality this this there's no easy way to talk about this, right? Because it's it's a very complicated it's all connected in ways that defy explanation yeah. in a one line in a movie. And, and it's immediacy too, right? So again, the line in the movie, I do X, Y happens, and Y happens right afterwards. It's a clear cause and effect. And we don't have that. We don't have the immediacy of our actions yielding results. And so people are like, okay, I'm going to do quarantine. Where's the benefit? And you're not going to see the benefit. You're not going to see the benefit for weeks to months. And, and now we probably are seeing the benefit now because- People are saying, oh, we're not nearly seeing as many deaths as all the public health experts said we would. And I'm like, yeah, 
because we quarantined, right? I mean, we did the right thing. That's why we're not seeing that. So we're, we're just starting to see the effect of the quarantine. So either we can learn from other places where they did it and they can show the benefit or we can do it and just say, I have to have faith that this is the right thing to do and that these people are advising us properly and then just wait it out. But because you don't have that immediacy, I think it makes it even harder for people to logically say, I'm going to stay home, give up my work, possibly give up my business that I've been building, but I'm doing it because it's going to be better for me and my family and my community. And then a week or two later, you're like, nothing's changed. I still can't go back to work and I'm still hearing about people dying and getting sick. It just takes time for those things to to really bear out. And again, we're navigating in waters that we've never seen before. We've never seen anything like this in the last hundred years. We've never seen anything like it. So we just don't know. And we're still. All right. Cool. Um, yeah. Yeah. We, we started to touch on that earlier about how the immediacy of results has an effect on how we perceive this problem. And I love that he's talking about the wrath of Khan <laughs> and uh, talks about how Spock's actions and the result are just a very clear straight line. If I do this, this one thing, this will be the result. All these people will be saved. It would be nice if we could look at problems like the one that we're in in the same way, but that's simply not the case. Um, and it's very hard to know what what next steps will be and what outcomes will be. Um, any thoughts on this clip? Uh, I, I thought it was really one of the most interesting uh, uh, perspectives on this. Well, I think it, I think it highlights again this 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 idea that you know Swami is seeing patients in the ED like he has you know he can see the effect of uh and all ER doctors can see the effect of social distancing right like they can see cases go down they can see you know the 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 EDs not being overwhelmed or they can see them being overwhelmed so it's like for them they can see the immediacy of what the rest of us are doing but if you're just in your house and you're not listening to the news or you're not you know and you're just kind of working on puzzles like it's, mm-hmm. it's easy just to think, I, what am I doing this for? Like, I don't have a job and you know, I like, I, so I just think in this case, it's, it feels more useless because you can't see the effects. And that's a hard thing for, I think a lot of people to kind of wrap their head around. Right. Well, and there is this kind of an overwhelming amount of data that we're taking in as well. I mean, um, I, I heard a very interesting uh, uh, piece the other night on uh, the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. Shout out to a great podcast. <laughs> Actually, the show that got me into podcasting. Um, and they mentioned at the top of their show last week that uh, there, were, there were two pieces of information that, that really just have such a profound effect in such a short amount of time. So <clears throat> I feel very lucky that I live in California where we started this process very early on to, to kind of wind down businesses, uh, 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 really emphasize uh, uh, social distancing. We're all very lucky with that. However, there were something like eight traceable entry points of the virus in California. California is a huge state, you know, massive population, but a huge amount of land. And they really had only narrowed it down to about eight points of entry for the virus. New York, on the other hand, 
something like over a hundred points of entry for the virus. So immediately they're starting with a completely different uh, uh, set of information and set of problems and we are here. The other very interesting thing was, um, and I forgot what study they were citing or, or where they got this information, uh, but you can look it up, give a listen to Skeptics Guide to the Universe. Um, had the social distancing and other measures gone into effect just two weeks earlier than they did, the known cases coming out of New York would have been cut by somewhere between 50 and 80%. And yet here we are, you know, because again, we're dealing with so many unknowns, dealing with everybody just sort of trying to live their lives and do what they think is best, but without any really clear picture of, as we saw in the movie, point A to point B leads to this particular result it's that wrapping your head around that for something as big and complex and as multifaceted as this is impossible to do. Yeah. It's, it's funny. We keep talking about this and I, I can't help but think about the parallels between this and climate change. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, like I feel like it's the same thing. Like we, we made all these choices for so many years that we just didn't see the repercussions of, like we just didn't see how, switching everything to plastic and like all these, all these things that we did had this huge, huge cumulative effect on the world. And I think that that's part of like a lot of people who are, you know, skeptics of climate change. They're like, what's one straw going to do? Why can't I have a straw in my soda? Right. Mm -hmm. So I think there's like that sort of that feel too. Like what's, what can one person do that's actually going to make a difference? And so I don't know. I mean, I feel like, a lot of these conversations, we, we just go sort of like dark and they end with like, everything sucks. And like, what are we going to do? And I, I just, I like every now and then try and find like a silver lining. And I'm, I'm hoping that we learn from the situation that if the, the small things that we are all doing can make a huge effect and we can see this cumulative like people's lives being saved and, and hospitals not being overwhelmed, that maybe we can go, hey, maybe I can make a difference just myself. Maybe if we all do something that seems very small, it can have a huge impact. And yeah. so I'm, 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 I'm hoping that that's something that we just don't forget yeah. after all of this. Well, hopefully what we don't forget is that it's amazing seeing the reports and satellite images of air quality index is changing yeah. around the world and how fast that happened. The downside is how fast that may go the other direction. Correct. Uh, when, which it probably will. <laughs> yeah. And that, that's really unfortunate. I mean, walking around LA, you look up and go, oh my God, the sky is beautiful. Wait, yeah. you're walking around LA? I Wait know. It's so weird. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody walks in LA. So I was told by Dale Bosio. No, I mean now. You're walking around now. <laughs> right, yeah, right now. <laughs> um, hey, let's go to Lou, who has been hanging yeah. on very patiently uh, with some questions for us tonight. Lou, Canada's Trexpert. How are you tonight, sir? Oh, it's uh, it's been up and down, John. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I don't know if your uh, listeners are aware. I've been fighting something since February. The good news is it seems to be just a cold. The bad news okay. is I can't get in to see my doctor because it is just a cold, um, or we hope. Uh, the good news is that we seem to have flattened out the curve in Ontario. 
Good. Uh, cross your fingers. Uh, we're not uh, we're not opening anything yet. We're not um, we're not unleashing the, uh, the the multitudes. We're keeping. We we shouldn't call it social distancing. We should call it physical distancing because socially we're actually more active like we are with you to bring people closer together. Oh, I'm sorry. Hi, Josh. Hi, Wendy. Hey, how are you? <laughs> how are you? <laughs> Good to see. So, John and I go way back. I didn't, way, I, way I didn't back. want to yeah. inter interfere there. <laughs> um, so, uh, I mean, the, the good news is uh, my, my girlfriend is very patient and hasn't, uh, hasn't gotten tired of me yet, although I, I, I don't let her cook my meals, if you, if you know what I mean. Um, and I, I almost feel like I should be taking notes from you guys in terms of, okay, I have this symptom. Should I go for, for this more corrective? Because it's like, like today, today if it weren't for the, the, the pandemic, I wouldn't be concerned as much about this. Um, but I don't, I don't think that it's usual to have any kind of virus for five weeks. It's not impossible. Yeah. I honestly can't say I don't have it. I don't know what's wrong with me. I have a sore throat. I have dizziness. I have watery eyes and fatigue. And it gets better. It gets worse. It gets better. It gets worse. Um, we, uh, um, we go out once a week to shop. I'm not my, my doctor said I need 24 hours without, um, without symptoms, uh, to go out again. So mm -hmm. that's, it's, it's been a tough week. That's, uh, that's it for the Lou medical report. <laughs> well, <laughs> this oh, is thank a, goodness we got that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, by the way, uh, to something that you said at the top of the call, Carrie yeah. in the chat says, amen, Lou, I've been more social in the past five weeks than I normally am. My inner introvert has been in a bit of shell shock. <laughs> and um, yeah, I, th that's actually a really cool upshot of mm -hmm. all of this. I'm a very social person. I love to go yeah. out, love to see my friends, love, love to just go anywhere that I can. And uh, this is a huge change for me, but it's so nice to do something that is purely social online. Uh, obviously is... I do the show like this and mm -hmm. I have meetings like this during the day, but then to just sort of cut that off and at least for a few minutes, be mm -hmm. able to connect socially is, uh, is excellent. Well, this is what, remember we, uh, we talked about this last time that um, one of the, one of the, side benefits, if you will, of Mission Log Live is that I get to re relate to or deal with or interact with more members of the Star Trek community. Um, mm -hmm. And, and as, as, as an entertainer, there's not, and I don't have a home studio, um, there's, there's not a lot I can do right now. Um, uh, there's, there's, I've, I've sent out a couple of videos of myself here, and that's about it. But um, you guys sort of inspired me to, to uh, kind of um, create some more interactive uh, content. So I'm going to be uh, working with a couple of people to um, to do. I, I don't think it's going to be interactive, but it's going to be a, a Star Trek trivia quiz that I'm going to run every week. That hey, uh, um, that at least gets me to focus on something other than other than myself and serve the needs of the many see there you yeah. bring it right back full to the circle topic, like full a professional circle. yes i love yeah. it hey um thank you so much for calling in i i do want to get to one more clip from uh, dr swami before we say goodnight wrap things up 
I really appreciate you calling in, Lou. I'm glad you're healthy. Stay healthy. Ish. Talk to you next week, John. <laughs> All right. Oh, not next week. Next time. No, no, next time. time. Next live time. long yeah, and yeah, prosper, yeah. guys. Well, live long and prosper, man. Okay. Take care. All right. How about uh, you too, Josh and Wendy? You've been uh, finding that you're doing social things online, maintaining a social life. You know, honestly, John, like uh, I'm extremely lucky. Both of us are extremely lucky that we work for a company where everybody's already working remotely. Mm-hmm. And so we don't, the only effect that I feel is when you know you want to go out with your family it's not you know in terms of the job that's it's thankfully that's that's um that's there's no problem there but um have you seen this cartoon where it shows like it's like this cartoon character and then the the bottom and he's giving a look to the camera and the bottom is like when you realize that your normal life is like quarantine (laughs) i felt like that a little bit because i'm like oh we're staying home and like we're not going anywhere and i was like oh damn now i really do want to go somewhere and i don't have the option to why the hell didn't i do that before but no i'm 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 you know we're we're doing good well yeah i I feel so sorry john i was just gonna say with like ria's quote like when she said she's loving it um there's parts of me that kind of love it too but um but I also feel like, you know, the other side of that is like that this is really, really hard for so many people. And we're in a unique position where we're able to work from home. And, you know, we have a few jobs. One of them happens to be producing a medical podcast. So, I mean, obviously, that's really needed right now, medical education for people. But um, yeah. but it's like we we just, you know, we don't. We don't want to come off as like flip or insensitive to some of the people who might be listening who, you know, they can't work from home. They don't have the option of working from home. And this is really hard. And it's not just that they can't see their friends, that that, that the just stay home isn't as simple as, oh, it's harder. You know, I teach at a university and I have to do all my classes online. Oh, boo-hoo. You know, I still get to do that, whereas mm-hmm. other people have, have no option. So other people that have to go in. Yeah, some people have to go in, and some people yeah. can't go in, are not allowed to go in, and yeah. and can't pay rent. You know, so I think that there's there's that side of it too. Yeah, so. I, for sure. I mean, so many people are getting hit in different ways, and uh, the the statistics of uh, the numbers of people who are unemployed in Los Angeles alone just mm-hmm. absolutely shocking, um, and all of that within a very short period of time. Um, we do have one more caller standing by, but I, I do want to go to this last clip um, that is sort of a, a summary of a lot of these topics. And then, I, yeah. again, I'll, I'll say it again at the end of the show, but I do want to encourage people, keep an eye out for um, sort of, uh, uh, let's call it the mega mix of Dr. Swami. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll get together and record a wraparound for that. Uh, but I, I will drop that into the main mission log feed because I, I think this interview is so good. He makes so many wonderful points and he's got fun stories like a story with Leonard Nimoy uh, that I want you all to hear. So uh, Earl, if you don't mind, go ahead and play clip eight and then uh, we will pop over and say hi to Steve before we say goodnight. No, I, I, think, the, I think the line makes a lot of sense in theory to be able to say, you know, one person gives their life to save hundreds, thousands, whatever it is, but it's so much more gray instead of black and white in real life. And and this pandemic really brings a lot of that out. How many grays, how many different inputs there are that we're trying to take into account when we're making those decisions. And I think sometimes the, the, the needs of the few 
are actually something that helps the many, like you talked about with the vaccination for healthcare workers. And sometimes the needs of the few really do outweigh the needs of the many. And, and sometimes it is the other way around. And we are on the front lines. We're trying to figure out what, what decision we make that's going to be the best for everybody. But then we're also faced with a single patient in front of us and what decision is going to be best for them. And sometimes those two things run contrary to each other, but more of the time they're running parallel or they're running slightly askew. And it's just not, it's not easy for me to say, if I do this, other people will be able to benefit, but the person in front of me won't. And sometimes we make the decision thinking this will be the best for everybody. And then it's not. And sometimes we make the decision thinking it's probably not going to be best for everyone. And it is, it's, it's just too difficult to know. And it's much easier afterwards to say the decision I made wasn't the best decision or the decision I made was actually a really good one or the decision I didn't make was also a good one. I think it's, it's just too difficult to have that simple cause and effect and the immediacy with which some of the things that we have to do actually come to bear makes it even more difficult. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I love that this sort of uh, uh, puts a bird's eye view on, on everything. And uh, again, I hope that people will uh, give a listen to the, the later full interview that we play. Uh, but before we say goodnight tonight, I do want to jump over to Steve, who has been standing by patiently. Steve, welcome to the show. Good morning, John. And happy birthday for the other oh, day. My subject, pal. Ah, thank you so much. That's very nice. <laughs> yeah. I had a very interesting birthday. It looks <laughs> like, yes. Um, yeah. I can imagine, well, everything is very strange in the moment, isn't it? Yes. Very, very strange indeed. But the jumping off point for the discussion on social media for this episode was all about the classic spot quote of the needs of the many and the needs of the few. And we, each of us, have to make that decision in every experience that we have. And we have to pass it by that filter. We have to decide, am I deciding something really selfishly? Or am I thinking about what is best for the society that I live in? And all the Starfleet captains make every decision by that basis according to those rules and we do too and it's scary and bad but every single thing that we do we just have to think what's the best thing for the people for the community that we live in simple as that that's very well said you know it, it's a lesson in empathy and i empathy precisely if there's anything that it is discouraging about what we're all going through, it's that you see sometimes the worst nature of people and a lack of empathy among some people. But, but at our best, we are showing tremendous empathy and tremendous compassion uh, to each other, to ourselves, and in the interest of helping everybody else to get through this and see a better day on the other side. Um, I, I think that's so. Um, I think it's so delightful to see that. It's delightful to see that people are are actively participating in this because they realize that this problem is bigger than themselves and bigger than exactly. their their personal needs. Um, right. So, yeah, what what a way to uh, to tie that back into our uh, morals, meanings, messages that we get from Trek. 
Yes, absolutely. I think we're all where, where are you calling from tonight, by the way, Steve? Still in the northeast of England, my friend. Very good. All right. Well, thank you for staying up late or morning. Or I know it's morning, but did you stay up late or did you get up early? It's gone 4 a.m., I think. Oh, I'm trying not oh to lie. Oh. Well, the thing yeah. is, I'm, I'm, my, my place of work is shut down. I am just going through each day as it comes and trying to stay sane. And um, my partner is awesome and she's working from home. And we're together, Megan and I, we're perfectly fine. And we're grateful for the fact that we're able to be fine and contained within our home when we get to go outside again and see the people that we love. We can't wait for that moment. Yeah. Well, can I, can I just say one thing, John? Like, I, I feel like... Um, there's you can definitely see uh examples of people not having empathy or like not mm-hmm. you know uh like the the stories come out about the worst than people but i i do think that when you end up like i've seen way more stories and examples of people who are wanting to help and who are doing things that are that are that kind of reaffirm your your faith in humanity you know uh, oh, absolutely, and, and, and I yeah, and and I, I I think unfortunately sometimes the negative voices turn out to be loudest, but it's not like they're the most numerous, you know, and and so I I that is hopeful to me too. Um, and whilst we're yeah. completely shut down, we were having a conversation on Facebook earlier this afternoon about great series that um, people hadn't seen, and there's. Um, I think it was Billy Wilder, The Apartment. Oh, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, someone recommended it to me. And within 10 minutes on Facebook, one of our neighbors popped the DVD through my letterbox. Ah, nice. Oh, that's awesome. Nice. And that was Elaine. And thanks to her. <laughs> that's so and it, cool. that's a wonderful movie. So yeah. enjoy. It's fantastic. Can't wait to see it. McLean, Jack Lemmon, enjoy it. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, um, really great. Yeah, I, Josh, to put that in scientific terms, I, I think very often we have a sampling error. Yes. Uh, when we, we allow news to kind of sway us, and obviously we focus on the outliers, we focus yes. on the, 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 the things that are negative just because they are so strange, and it gives us a sampling error uh, about what's actually happening in the world. So, um, yeah, you know, read the news, but read it carefully. <laughs> Remember, it's not always representative. Right. And there's also like, I think it's a part of seeking out stories too. Like, you mm-hmm. know, it's, sure. it's about, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to do confirmation bias where you like find stuff that you already think is yes. true. And then yes. you already think things are bad. And then you look at things that are, that confirm that things are bad and things are bad. And then things oh. are worse. That's just, no. Confirmation bias and others. We should just do a whole show on logical fallacies. Mm-hmm. Right, you know? <laughs> hmm. Gosh, I wonder. Go check out Shabam, people. All right. Uh, Steve, thank you so much. Good morning to you. Thank you, John. And, uh, Good morning. Take care of yourself. We'll see you yes. next time. Thanks for calling in, Steve. Thanks, and man. get some sleep. <laughs> yes, buddy. Yeah. All right. Hey, uh, Josh, Wendy, the, this has flown by, and I realize that there is so much to talk about. Um, I, I can't thank you enough. 
uh, for, for doing this, for joining me. And uh, I look forward to releasing the rest of the audio to everybody so they can hear that fantastic interview that you did with Dr. Swami. Yeah. Um, so cool. And please remind us all, Shabam, obviously it's at the Roddenberry Podcast Network, podcast.roddenberry.com. Where else can they follow you? So I want to do two shout outs, one obviously to Shabam, um, specifically for those of you guys out there that have kids. Uh, you know, it's a family friendly podcast that is geared towards kids, but adults love it too. But we, um, we kind of are finding that we were strangely like, we made the show a, a while ago and it's just so relevant <laughs> to what's happening but if True. you like your yeah. kids won't understand like how the immune system works and what viruses do and what the public health system is like like we go into all of that and we go into sort of like what the infrastructure is and how things shut down which we sort of saw like you know we saw supply chain issues with different products and things like that and it hasn't gotten to quite the shabam level uh, thankfully we haven't lost electricity or communication yet right. Um, so hopefully we won't, but, uh, but just, I think it's a great sort of fictionalized version of, of what could happen and, and the parallels are there. And then as we were sort of hinting at in the end, we get at this idea of like, you know, thinking scientifically and, and not getting caught in what we call brain traps, um, about these things and really thinking about the science and, and knowing what to trust, especially when you're being hit with so much misinformation all the time. So certainly check that out. And then I want to do uh, one more. I know it seems like just from the comments and what people are saying that like the sort of medical side of it, I mean, Josh and I are not doctors. Uh, we work with a lot of doctors, but, uh, Mel, who is our co-host on Shabam has a show for laymen called This Won't Hurt a Bit. And they've done two episodes on COVID-19 and they just released their second one this week. But they're really looking at sort of like, you know, taking questions from people like, do I, you know, when I go outside, do I need to wear a mask? Like, you know, like all these things from the doctors. Can I get COVID-19 from my dog? Exactly. Can I get it from my dog? Yeah. You know, so they're, 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 um, they, they break it down and and use it in women's terms. So if you, if you're like, Oh, I want more information from doctors that aren't on TV. Um, (laughs) (laughs) this might be a good source for you. So this one hurt a bit. It's great. Yeah. This one hurt a bit is awesome. Like, Uh, I'll make sure to share that out. I'll make sure to share that out and put it in the notes. But yes. um, yeah, just remind everybody, podcast.roddenberry.com to find Shabam. Yes, uh, such an excellent show. So well produced. And again, just uh, coincidentally ties in with so many of the issues that we're talking about here. A couple of notes from the audience just uh, before we go. Uh, Josh, a little shout out to you there. Crystal says, I agree, Josh. Giving helps tremendously. So uh, back to what you were saying right. before. And then right, Carlos. Crystal, thanks. Carlos says, I heart when the Shabam guys are on. So thank you for saying that, Come back anytime. We love being on the show. (laughs) I'm blushing. (laughs) Uh, uh, Thank you again both so much. Uh, Thank you for what you did on Shabam as well. We look forward to more. Remember, everybody, podcast.roddenberry.com. Mission Log is produced by the Roddenberry Entertainment, uh, or (laughs) Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry. Technical production on Mission Log by the incredible Earl Green. Be sure to visit visit podcast.ronberry.com for the latest from the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Mission Log, Mission Log Live, Women at War, Priority One, The Trek Files, your daily Star Trek news, and Shabam! 
If you would like to support Mission Log directly, give us a look at patreon.com slash mission log. Hey, I know it's the last show before we go away a little bit for a hiatus. Uh, remember, we're still here for you. Uh, Mission Log carries on. Uh, the Roddenberry Podcast Network carries on. We're working on new things, and we will check in with you. And please continue to check in with us. You know where to reach us, facebook.com slash missionlogpod. Send us an email, missionlog at roddenberry.com. Or if you're on Patreon with us, um, we'll have this live kind of one-on-one chat as well. Thank you. Thank you so much to everyone who joined us live or is joining us later. Please stay safe. Stay healthy. And we'll talk to you again. Live long and prosper. Podcast.roddenberry.com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network.